Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Central. How you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to Tech Radio. Since 2006, the number one Irish tech podcast bringing you news in tech from around Ireland and across the world. We are the podcast that likes to broadcast on air with RTE and online via your favourite podcasting app, be that from Apple, Google or Spotify. Also, if you're on iTunes, do leave us a five-star rating. Good on you. We also keep you up to date daily on all things tech with hourly updates and daily newsletters, which you can grab for free at techcentral.ie. Amazing interview for you on the programme this week, uh, all about robots who have been kind of, you know, picking up work. This sounds really 2020, doesn't it? Robots have been picking up work due to the coronavirus. Consumers can't work. What happens now? Do they? That's all in the interview coming for you right now. Uh, Niall Kitson, our editor-in-chief, is with us. How are you keeping, Niall? Hey, Dusty. How are you? I'm doing okay. I've got a bit of a, 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 a froggy voice today, and I'm just wondering, after going through the last, whatever, two, three months, am I finally going to get the, the Rona, mate? <laughs> <laughs> the Rona. What, what? <laughs> Sounds like a song by, uh, by The Knack. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be dreadful. But anyways. Um, anyway, listen, loads to get through this week. I want to start off with, uh, of course, Donald Trump is just making the headlines all week and all that. Well, always. Um, but this week, it's, um, of course, all of the events that are happening in the States and what Trump is doing with Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg. Tell me everything. Yeah, this is pretty much a case of what can possibly go wrong. I think as soon as we had recorded last week's show, all this started exploding. But the short version is that Twitter has finally started fact-checking Trump's tweets. And initially what they did was they took two of his tweets, which were about a conspiracy theory that had been doing the rounds about mail-in ballots in California. Trump was basically saying that uh, ballots were being issued indiscriminately Mm. and that anyone could just fill in a ballot and send it in and there was massive wide-scale voter fraud and you know if this is left unchecked there'll never be a republican elected in california again etc etc twitter actually put up a flag on two tweets uh related to this saying actually here's here's what's happening uh and you know for more information click here Right, which actually went to a reputable sources of information explaining what's going on and debunking uh, what Trump was going on about as a conspiracy theory. Uh, of course, the commander-in-chief was not impressed and he followed up by issuing an executive order which um, effectively took away protections social networks have when it comes to being sued. So we all know the debate for years has been social networks going, sorry, we're a platform, not a publisher. We're not accountable for what's said on our platforms. Trump's executive order basically said, actually, you know what? You are responsible for what's said on your platform. Uh, And, you know, it's not because of anything I'm saying. Mm. It's because I don't like you very much and you did something to me. So I'm going to do something back to you. If I can't say what I want on your platform, I'm going to make it impossible for anyone to say anything on your platform because you'll have to check everything. Now, of course, that's not what he said, but these are the the net effect of his actions. So unfortunately, it wasn't Twitter in particular that he he named in these things, but he was looking at Facebook and Google as well, uh, all under the pretense that they were helping either spread Chinese propaganda or aid in China's surveilling of its own population. So Trump said, you know, nothing to do with me. 
Nope, nothing to do. It's all about China. Uh, look over there. It's all to do with China. Uh, and of course, things were not helped uh, over the weekend with Trump's tweeting that uh, famous line dating back to the 1960s civil rights movement. Mm. I think when the looting starts, well, the shooting starts, I, which Twitter I know. pulled down completely. Uh, um, I thought this was really interesting because I thought the first comment that you made about Trump saying that, you know, voter ballots are going to be stolen and, and, and diddled with and all that, completely, absolutely and obviously untrue, what he said in that statement. Yeah. The second one I was a little bit mm, not sure about because in the context of what Trump was saying on Twitter, he was kind of going, this is crazy. It's ridiculous the way things are going. If people start looting, well, then... It's going to start shooting. Oh, right? no, no, no. Yeah, but you see, now, th- here's the thing. Okay. Then there's the backstory, as you say, goes back to the 60s, where the mayor of a large city in the States, uh, who was facing a similar situation with people rioting, and basically he put the word down onto the street. He said, if you guys start looting, I'm going to start shooting. Okay, now in that circumstance, it's like, whoa. But you would have to know that quote from the 60s in order to to see or to take offence to what Trump was saying. And did Trump actually mean that? Was he thinking of that quote from back in the 60s? Who knows? So I was kind of, hmm, just, hmm. <laughs> well, I'm I'm definitely on the, the leaning to the left on this one. Uh, I think Trump's team, uh, who probably ghost wrote that tweet for him, to be honest, they knew exactly what they were saying and who it would connect with in his base because mm. his team clearly know that, look, they're never getting anyone on the left to vote for him ever. So let's just go with a base first approach. What would the base love to hear him say and love to see him doing? And this is why you get tweets being coming out referencing this particularly fractious time in American political history. It's also why you see him doing photo ops Mm. outside a a church, despite every religious leader in the Washington area coming out and saying, look, this is not neither the time nor the place to be, uh, you know, posing uh, <laughs> with the Bible but there are those in his base who absolutely lap this kind of thing and, and, and you know I, I, I can see that as well but anyway listen this is tech radio not Trump radio so tell me uh, that's the background with Twitter what has Trump now done with Facebook well it's it's maybe not so much what Trump has done but it's a, a tale of two social networks because as, as we know Twitter have come down they wielded the ban hammer uh, on one of Trump's tweets wholesale Facebook has taken the different tack saying well do you know what he's a public figure um, these things should be a matter of record by the way we're not an arbiter of truth that is uh, an exact phrase that uh, was attributed to Mark Zuckerberg um, so you know it's it's a tough decision to make but these are our policies and uh, we're going to leave uh, the tweet up so if you if you want to see it you can you can go to Facebook and you will see it um, uh, reposted. Uh, now, there are all sorts of theories to do with this, and most of them do not subscribe to the idea that Zuckerberg is standing up for the rights of the little guy to say what he wants, um, more probably to do with the fact that he has a good relationship with Trump on a personal level and wants to maintain that. So it's an interesting tension, not between platform and law but between the owner of the platform and the commander-in-chief or the leader of his country because we know this is this is how president trump likes to do business he likes to do it person to person uh we're not looking at a, a challenge of you know best practice versus law necessarily 
We shall uh, keep an eye on it. It is very interesting times that we are, are, are running through, I have to say. Uh, loads of other stories that I want to get to before we get to our interview this week. Uh, Zoom. Suddenly, you know, ask somebody in January, hey, do you Zoom? And they're like, oh, what are you talking about? Uh, and now, of course, it's just, it's in there. It's going to be one of those dictionary entries at the end of the year, isn't it? There's I a think, new verb. Yeah. I'll Zoom you. <laughs> I, th- I think we are Zooming. Uh, we are Zooming along. This is, And the speed at which this has happened is just phenomenal. I mean, as you, as you were saying, in January, Zoom was a small little uh, service that did uh, conference calls for business. And it made $198,000 in revenue in 2019. I mean, this is a very small fry company then with a very, uh, very niche user base. You know, they're just looking for big businesses to subscribe to their product. Uh, for Q1, for a tech company to make a profit is a big deal. They made a profit of 27 million just in the first quarter off the back of revenues of 325 billion. Uh, It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. It just goes to show that, um, you know, the necessity is the mother of invention and Zoom just seemed to have been the right solution in the right place. And for the life of me, I'm still struggling to figure out I mean, Zoom has its place now in the popular culture. That's grand. But whether Google Hangouts and, you know, Skype group chats and all this, all this thing, why, why Zoom? Do you have any ideas? I think it was a bit of the media darling last year um, and that those in the know were the ones who were using it. And I think it's just kind of gone out into, in, in, into the world in general. I think that's probably why. Um, and then also, you know, it's a good bit of software and it's very simple to use and there was a free trial and it's yeah, whatever. It's, yeah. that's, that's the thing with life that I, I have found is that you just never know what's going to be successful, when or why. This is true. And it's a platform that we've actually engaged in work now. We'll be doing webinars uh, off the back mm. of it, seeing as we can't do physical events anymore. And, you know, we're going to going to be able to deliver the same value to people uh, over an online platform that we probably wouldn't have been able to do this time last year because mm. there is still that mental hurdle of, you know, where well, do I extract saying. value from a video conference? Exactly. You call a client and they go, ah, I don't know, it's, uh, it's handy if we just go to the hotel and all get together. <laughs> yeah. And now, one thing that people are admitting is that there, and, and I think you've said it yourself, is that there is no substitute for the handshake for being able mm. to go up to some, someone afterwards and say, hey, nice presentation or, you know, let's, let's have a chat another time. That has yet to be cracked. And even the people in the video conferencing business are like, do you know what? When we get that cracked, we will have taken over. But until we have that sorted, it's, you know, it's the last remaining barrier to everything going online. Mm. <laughs> OK. Uh, no, I've, I've said it before. So I don't want to see everything going online, but I think online can play such a much a bigger part of our life and make it so much more convenient and helpful. And I love the idea of working from home two days a week and in the office three days. Well, I like the mix. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but it is absolutely stunning what's 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 going on at the moment. I think this whole virus thing, if we were to look back at it in, in history in 50 years time or 100 years time or whatever, it's going to be one of those is like kind of, you know, when the steam engine was invented or when they rolled that wheel out of a cave. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's just going to be that was the moment that everything, you know, just went off and now 
whole other different direction. Yeah, very much a case of necessity being the mother of invention, I think. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm. And and I think despite what the, all the bad news that's, that's coming out of the States, and despite with the coronavirus and how dreadful it's been, I think humanity is going to end up in a better place because of what's happening in 2020. Which leads but, us to our third story about better places. Dun, da, 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 da. That was quite easy, wasn't it? It was indeed SpaceX. Yeah, I love it. One of your favorite companies, actually. You love a good SpaceX story. Oh, I, I, I love a good. I, I just love the fact that this is not a government. <laughs> that it's a proper no 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 but what I mean is like governments do things and governments can do things well and but government organisations tend to be you know too big and too slow and, and money gets wasted and stuff like that like you know you put an efficient commercial company in there and wow some exciting things can happen and that's what we've seen this week with uh, SpaceX and they have been launching um, humans up into space the last trial run that they did was they sent a rocket up with two dummies <laughs> in the capsule at the top just to make sure that it could actually fly itself automated to the space station dock and then come back again which it did yeah and it had it had a couple of big missions over the last few weeks so there was a uh, the trial that you were talking about there, but there was also the the actual uh, docking of two astronauts, Doug Hurley mm-hmm. and Bob Benkin, uh, mm-hmm. with the International Space Station that happened at uh, the end of May. Um, but uh, just this week, there was the launch of 60 Starlink satellites from the Falcon 9. Do you, do you, are you aware of the Starlink project? I think this is fascinating. Go on, tell me what you know. This is basically uh, what they... what. SpaceX is calling a mega constellation of satellites that will encircle the Earth with, and they will be tasked with beaming broadband into places where it is impossible to get, particularly developing economies. So this is going to be a network of satellite satellites that will be delivering broadband back mm-hmm. to Earth. So the plan is to have something like 12,500 um, satellites in, in orbit, Right, manning this, um, uh, manning this network, con- con- constituting of a network, and they're all going to be in low orbit, which means that you know if one of them degrades or whatever, it'll just come to Earth, and instead of being a piece of rubbish flying around uh, in orbit forever, so you know it'll just fall to Earth, and they can get a new one up there, and they they can reconstitute the network that way. Um, but here's a couple of stats that I, I didn't really know. I mean, with SpaceX looking for so many uh, satellites to have as part of the network, or network in orbit, how many satellites do you think are in orbit at the moment? Oh my God, do you know what? Um, I have no idea. Um, but I know that it's a lot, but I know if you were to go up there and have a look around, you wouldn't be able to see a single one of them. There um, are 2,000 in orbit at the moment. 2,000 satellites around Earth? I would have really? thought there'd be an awful lot more. I would have thought it'd be an awful lot more as well, yeah. And do you want to know how many have ever been launched? How many satellites have been launched? Go on. This is like my family quiz on a Sunday night. Go on. Yeah, 9,000. <laughs> and there's two. So where are the 9,000 or 7,000 missing ones? <laughs> are they just floating around? Or <laughs> I, I imagine they, they have gone on to better places or, you know, re- returned yeah. to Earth in a, a clumsy fashion. 
Uh, you know what? It is. It is. It is quite uh, stunning, though the uh, the entire project. And you know what? Just looking at Elon Musk and the stuff that he does. I mean, there was a video on YouTube the other day of him with uh, Jay Leno and driving around in a big uh, uh, truck truck up that he's a uh, truck thing that he's designed and just all the features of it and looking at SpaceX during the week and the kind of the satellites are there with their flat screen monitors in the capsule and all that kind of stuff. It's kind of like we're chatting today, right, mm-hmm. about. Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook and many people say that Mark Zuckerberg looks like an alien. <laughs> I think after all we've heard that Elon Musk has done that he is an alien. He's, he's been <laughs> from, sent from, among from, us to make exactly. things better. A long may he stay. <laughs> this is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. Now, as promised, let's get into our interview this week, which is fascinating. It's all about AI and visual robotics, which are enabling businesses around the world in sectors like retail to take up the jobs that humans just can't do, especially during the pandemic. But now that the pandemic is, fingers crossed, coming to an end, what happens to the robots? Does everybody just go back to work and the old robots get the boot? Or do they hang on to their jobs and the humans get the boot? Interesting question. Alessandro Prest is Chief Technology Officer with LogoGrab and he had a chat with Niall Kitson to give us his perspective. So Alessandro, tell us a little bit about LogoGrab and where the company has come from. Absolutely. I was founded in, in 2014 by myself and, and my co-founder, Luca. And out of the interest in, in the computer vision space, I mean, back then, artificial intelligence about the name of a movie, so it wasn't yet a hot tech um, vertical. So uh, back then we called it computer vision because we, we noticed how humans started to communicate more and more in a visual way as opposed to text. And so we decided to set out a company around making sense of all this, this imagery and, and visual signals that were uh, growing exponentially online. So that's really the, um, uh, let's say, the, the mission that we set out to solve. Now, fast forward a few years, um, we um, basically working, we were currently, uh, uh, our technology powers all the major online platforms when it comes to uh, social monitoring or uh, say uh, counterfeit detection you know the, the online marketplaces are, are booming and so are um, illicit activities on, on these uh, platforms such as selling counterfeits uh, um, uh, or um, let's say um, Brand, uh, products which are which are not uh, authorized to be sold there. So our technology is really the piece that that powers in in, in all this major organization um, this interpretation and, and action around the, the visual signal that that comes um, uh, in, in all these online communications. So when you're talking about visual signals, I, I mean. It, the, the jargon brings to mind something like QR codes, but you're you're looking at something much more basic than that. Yeah, we, we just look at the naked pictures or, or videos. So the, the QR code is uh, it's just an artifact uh, to make it uh, to, to make a visual signal interpretable by, by uh, simple devices. But we the task at hand for us 
it is much more complex because it involves a, a an image or a video in the same way that a human uh, would interpret it. So um, th- there's a lot of uh, nuance and um, uh, kind of delicate uh, decision making uh, to be done there. For example, if if, if I'm presenting uh, to you a picture of uh, uh, Nike shoes to make a judgment call whether that's a an official product or it's a counterfeit, it's it's quite complex. So um, really, that that's what our technology uh, is uh, is out doing is um, uh, really offering a, a a level of interpretation of the visual signal uh, like a human would do, like a trained human would do. So I think to to pick up on a specific example of things that are that is, can be removed from the human workload is that of stock management, uh, particularly in grocery stores. So have we seen examples of things in, in the wild where um, robots are are being deployed in response to say the COVID nineteen outbreak to realign human workforces and get more out of them? Yeah, we've seen we've seen plenty of, of, of such an example of, of such examples where the workforce in a, in a grocery store would be redeployed uh, in, for example, helping uh, customers shop as opposed to counting products on the shelf because now that task has been has been automated through a um, an AI um, system being robotics, computer vision, or a combination of those. So I think that speaks exactly in the same with the same frequency as our messaging so using ai to, to free up humanity from mundane and repetitive tasks yeah and i think another one of these uh, repetitive tasks that we're seeing in relation to covid-19 is picking up on things that are not particularly easy for um, uh, a workforce to embrace, particularly in law enforcement. I think we're seeing uh, a further example of that when it comes to enforcing social distancing. Mm. Yeah, in fact, um, we've been uh, involved in a, in a recent study around uh, monitoring uh, social media to, um, in a way, uh, highlight cases where uh, social distancing wasn't respected. And, and there are many, many other uh, companies out there that um, in one way or another um, latched on the same um, the, the same need which is to deploy at scale AI that is able to um, enforce uh, or, or at least monitor where um, the, the social distancing is, is not being complied with complied with so um, that's, a, that's I think a great example of, of how AI can help in, in this kind of policies um, and, and really operate at scale as opposed to uh, how human uh, or many humans having to, to really watch uh, thousands of hours of footage um, and, and marking the, the uncompliant actors. I guess one of the uh, concerns people would have when you're when you're dealing with machine vision is um, things like facial recognition. Um, so, how do you uh, combat sort of uh, criticisms of the technology that you know when misused it it can have serious implications for uh, for civil liberties? Yeah. So, face recognition is in fact um, on the um, it's one of those. Um, battleground areas where uh, really the, the jury uh, the jury is still debating um, where does 
uh, the, the civil liberty and, and, and where does more uh, AI control begins. So uh, there are cases out there. Um, first one that, that comes to mind uh, is an American company that is currently uh, offering um, an AI for, for facial recognition, which is trained on public data. And there is a huge debate going on there whether uh, they are uh, entitled and allowed to do so or whether that's property of the individual users. And I think like in, in every uh, facet of, of, of progress, there are areas which are still very contentious and, and face recognition is, is one of those. Uh, I think the benefits from a um, say law enforcement uh, and uh, even forensic standpoint are, are, are very clear but but there is a um, there is a, a trade-off there uh, to be met um, because it, it does um, pose some important questions around uh, data privacy data ownership civil liberties and so on just looking towards the future uh, of the technology that you're developing, how do you see the world post-COVID-19 looking like? Do you, do you think there will be this sort of um, paradigm shift or, or this uh, massive leap towards automation that, that perhaps wouldn't have happened uh, in more, uh, more sedate times, if you will? Yeah, it's an interesting period because I think it's highlighting a number of uh, aspects in our society that are not quite right. So um, I think it, it, on, on the positive side of things, uh, a lot of people are fortunate enough to be in a line of work where uh, work from home is possible. And I think we're all seeing the benefit of giving the choice or, or having the opportunity for the workforce to work from home. And I think that's going to stay. I think that's what we're already seeing in, in, in several companies, one of which is Twitter, which is going to allow employees to work from home um, for, for, for the future, for the foreseeable future. So um, I think it's highlighting some interesting um, points uh, about modern workforce and, and how um, uh, kind of productivity is unleashed nowadays. Now, that said, uh, it's easier said than done when it comes to, um, let's say, from position of a tech company. So for us, going remote has been absolutely uh, easy to do. And in fact, a lot of our people already were working remotely uh, before the crisis. So um, I just try to put myself in the, in the shoes of traditional business owner or manufacturing where um, it's obviously uh, not so easy, uh, if possible at all, to, to go remote. So uh, I think there are going to be um, some uh, challenges for, for a certain class of business. And, and let's say in a post-COVID world might, might look uh, a little bit different in terms of capital allocation uh, for certain type of companies. So I think it's, uh, it's still mostly unwritten, but we're, start, we're starting to see signals of, of how things uh, could radically uh, change um, as, as a result of this crisis.
And that was Alessandro Prest, the Chief Technology Officer with LogoGrab, talking to Niall Kitson. Niall's still here with me. Uh, just before we head off, Niall, this week, uh, we have been looking at Irish companies who have been doing great things in tech and some Irish, due to coronavirus, uh, and some companies have been able to raise some very, very serious dosh around coronavirus. Tell me about one. Yeah, a very quick shout out to a comp cor- a Cork company called Kivar who raised $18 million in Series A funding. And basically what Kivar do is they use uh, AI and machine learning to find the best places to source goods and services and uh, just make things easier to get. And it, in a, in a state where supply chains are being automated and reinvented and it's becoming harder to find who's making what and how to get it from one place to another, to have a system that will just do all that for you is absolutely fantastic. So Kilvar, look, working with AI to make supply chains more efficient, uh, well done. I have got a good story as well. Just the one this week. Yeah, Ticketmaster we're all familiar with, of course. I was about to say that we love <laughs> um, however, this this is interesting. You, what you can't get on Ticketmaster is you can't buy tickets for for a tour, a bus tour, or something like that, or some kind of a holiday activity. So uh, a bunch of Irish lads are in there called Trip Admit, and they are a ticketing solution for tour and activity operators. They've just picked up a three hundred grand in seed funding to expand their platform and to help Irish tourism get back to business. Uh, the round that they've just secured there follows a partnership with uh, Campsited.com, another Irish <laughs> shower, <laughs> who do uh, bookings for camping holidays uh, across Europe and the two of them got together and now they've been able to leverage some fairly serious investment. So good on them. All right, Niall, I think that's about it for this week, yeah? Yep, that's all we got. Alrighty, well listen, uh, do have a good weekend. Remember you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates and daily newsletters and more at our website techcentral.ie and of course tune in to us every week online or on Fridays on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. So next time, from myself Dusty Rhodes and from Niall Kitson, keep washing those hands. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie Tech Radio is produced by DigitalAudioProductions.com. Tech Central.